Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If you don't know, we are a podcast built on an idea. Pretty much everyone has had or knows a teacher that inspires them. So we ask you, our wonderful dear listeners, to nominate those awesome educators. Being a teacher is, is really, really hard, especially during a pandemic, and they rarely get the spotlight they deserve. So tell us about an educator doing amazing work or who has a great story. You can shoot us an email to nominate that person at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today we have Jeff Pittner. He's a psychology teacher at Guilford High School in Rockford, and he's also the coach of their awesome eSports team. We talked about how much the team has grown. They had 90 kids try out for like 16 spots, and they bring in about 100 kids a week for the eSports club too. And we got to chat about what it's been like building that community over the years. I remember two years ago, this moment just sticks with me. I just shared it with a student yesterday. We walked into our gaming club. This kid, it was his first time ever coming to the club. He was, he asked me about it. I escorted him down. I walked him down. I said, okay, let's go. And I'll show you where it's at. And it's in the library. And he walks in, he sees the people there. He sees some kids playing games over here, some more kids playing games over there. And he stops, he drops his things. He raises his hands in the air and he goes, my people, I am here. I have found them. And everyone just kind of looks at him and goes, hey! And it was just a great, like, welcoming moment to just bring him in the fold. And then they all started singing the Halo theme together. And that, oh for me, gosh. I was like, oh. And also about his psychology classes and how they've evolved as he's learned about things like restorative justice and how the pandemic impacts the social dynamics of a classroom like psychology. Jeff was so insightful and our conversation went for so long that I'm actually going to bring it to you in two parts. So on the next episode, Jeff's going to be back with even more good stuff. Before we get to that conversation, we do have another Rockford-related story, too. Last year, Rockford Public Schools announced a scholarship partner with Northern Illinois University, promising to pay all tuition and fees to students who met certain criteria. Now the first cohort of those award winners are starting at NIU, and I got to talk to a few of them about it. The college admissions process is complicated. It's even trickier to maneuver miles of scholarship applications and financial aid packages when you're learning remotely thanks to a global pandemic. It was a uh, big mess to actually kind of dig through and try and find opportunities to get some financial burdens out of the way. That's Albert Mendez. He's one of the students receiving the Rockford Promise Scholarship in the first year of their NIU collaboration. To qualify for the scholarship, students have to meet a few criteria. They have to live in Rockford, attend Rockford Public Schools for all four years of high school, and finish with a 3.0 or higher GPA. Rockford Promise has been around for over a decade, but new funding from the city and a partnership with NIU took the program to a different scale. Last year, the program awarded a total of 30 scholarships to students entering Rock Valley College and Rockford University. This year, they gave out 150. Tasha Davis is the executive director. She says even though getting students into college is a major part of this, it's not the most important objective. Yay, we did it. We did the partnership. We got these kids in school. And now it's time to get these kids across the graduation stage and make sure that they finish. She says 60% of their cohort is first generation, low income and or minority. She says they have refugee and DACA program scholars. Mendez's mom is a Mexican immigrant who has worked factory jobs to help his family get by. And he says it was really hard financially, so he knows what an opportunity the scholarship presents. I feel like that's almost every parent's mission is like, I want to give them what I didn't have. I'm just trying to fulfill their, their mission right there. Most first-generation college students don't graduate in four years. Retaining first-gen and minority students is much more difficult than bringing them to campus. 
Davis says scholarships are pointless if they don't graduate. There are things that go beyond the financial barriers, and that's what Rock for Promise come into play. They're setting each student up with a mentor to help them through their academic and professional journey, and she hopes it can facilitate internships, too. For Mendez, it already has. He's studying business at NIU and was approached for an internship at a Rockford-based wealth management firm during a Rockford Promise fundraiser. He um, actually gave me and my friend Carlos an internship opportunity for the summer to work for Savant, actually. Kalila Cheers is another NIU freshman getting a full tuition scholarship through Rockford Promise. For her, it's been a bit challenging to adapt to college life so far. It's bound to happen after spending an entire year learning remotely. But she's already met her mentor and even signed up to be a peer mentor herself. I'm kind of excited to be part of that coming back and helping the Rockford Promise community. Even though she was never in the classroom with them, it was one of her Rockford teachers that first told her about the scholarships. Cheer says NIU was already a top choice for her, but getting her tuition and fees covered sealed the deal. For Tasha Davis at Rockford Promise, the goal is to be able to offer this to everyone who meets the criteria. So at the moment, we're nowhere near that number that we can afford according to the city funding, but I'm sure we will meet those numbers as the communication gets out to the community and to the young people inside of RPS 205. The scholarship requirements are the same for Rockford University as they are with NIU, and Rock Valley College only needs a 2.75 GPA. The city of Rockford wants to devote revenue derived from the new casino to the program. Rockford Promise helped send 100 freshmen to NIU this year, which makes up just under 5% of the school's total cohort of new first-year students. Davis hopes that number grows more and more every year as more students discover the scholarship and the community continues to fund it. Now for a quick news roundup. According to the Illinois Department of Public Health, schools, K-12 schools specifically, are now the most common potential exposure location to COVID-19 in Illinois. The state's dashboard says about 20% of total cases may be traced back to K-12 schools. The state data says there are also currently 128 active school outbreaks. Also, Illinois Public Universities released 10-day enrollment numbers for their fall semesters. NIU saw a few ups and downs. New freshman enrollment at NIU jumped 12% from last year, the largest year-over-year -year increase in two decades. But total enrollment at NIU fell 3% this fall, which President Lisa Freeman says is largely due to the challenge of the pandemic. We were obviously disappointed but not surprised at the drop-in retention of most predominantly first-year and first-generation students. She says going test-blind for admissions and merit scholarships should help with retention going forward. In the short term, Freeman says keeping classes in person will also make a difference. The Husky Pledge Program, which offers free tuition and fees to some in-state students, was also a major driver of the increase in freshmen. Nearly 40% of freshmen received the scholarship. The university says the new freshman class is the most diverse they've ever had. Southern Illinois University at Carbondale similarly saw increases in new students, but an overall decline. Eastern was pretty steady, Western dipped slightly, and the University of Illinois system set an enrollment record for the ninth straight year. They now have over 94,000 students across three campuses. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with psychology teacher and esports coach extraordinaire, Jeff Pittner. We start off by chatting about a delightful cardboard cutout of Danny DeVito wearing a mask that is sitting behind him in his classroom as we speak. 
I now instantly wish this wasn't a, a ditch, like an audio platform because I could see Mass Danny DeVito standing behind you. <laughs> that was a student gift from a couple say, years back. Yeah. So you're in, this is in your classroom. Yep. Yep. Any, do we have any additional context behind why this was a gift a couple of years ago? Uh, <laughs> Just a I big had, fan, big always sunny um, fan? No, I'm not even really a huge fan, but um, one of the members of my psychology club was a huge fan herself. And uh, she just constantly made Danny DeVito jokes. And we had a guy on the esports team that was constantly making egg references. So naturally, Danny DeVito got brought into the egg discussion. As you can, he is holding an egg there. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. He is. A little plastic egg, because these are indeed trying times. So <laughs> they felt it was appropriate to get me a life-size Danny DeVito cutout. Um, that I could hold on to. They all signed the back of it, so they all uh, can remain part of the classroom forever. So we wow. go. Um. That's beautiful. <laughs> See, I remember. I remember back in the day, it was like you'd sign like a like a tie a ceiling tile. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th I this is so much better than that. I feel like everyone should just like pick a random celebrity <laughs> cardboard cutout. <laughs> we had uh, we watched uh, a scene from the movie Matilda that he directed and starred in. Yeah. And so that became, uh, as we were discussing how uh, parenting styles works in class. And so it became kind of a, a reference that she kept making throughout the year. And then I had her the following year for the advanced placement class. And she stayed involved in the club just because she wanted to, you know, that connection was there. And we got to grow together and make more jokes about Danny. <laughs> I love it. Okay, hang on. You know, let me see. I might have some Danny DeVito related finger. Hang on. Let's see if I can show it to you. Here we go. <laughs> that is I got this as a Christmas gift from my brother like two years ago. So we have this, you, you, can, you know, you can make it seem like an, an innocuous, nice pillow, but then boom, Danny DeVito shows up. The more up. important pillow, yeah. Absolutely. So this is this has been one of my main coworkers as I've been working remotely for the last 18 months. I spent a lot of time bonding with Danny. Oh, yeah. Danny definitely was the first thing I brought home from my classroom when we went remote right after COVID hit. And uh, I put the mask on him shortly after that and to be appropriate in the moment. Um, <laughs> And he's been uh, rocking it ever since. So he's definitely a permanent fixture of the classroom. I talk about leaving some space in my room for my kids to become part of my classroom forever. Uh, I have, we used to play more of a gamified edition, uh, a game called Classcraft, where kids got a digital avatar that they could then participate in the class with and be a way to represent themselves more authentically in some cases. But uh, I take like a team photo from that app and put it on my wall. So they get to sign that and become part of my classroom. But uh, due to new regulations or restrictions, I don't think I'm allowed to use that app anymore. So I need to come up with some other way to make them part of my room forever other than just their stuff and uh, projects and paintings and such they made before. You need to get like a like a, tw a twins Danny DeVito movie poster and have them sign that or something? Give me an Arnold statue next, I guess. I would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a rumor I heard they were considering doing a sequel to Twins. <laughs> I was gonna say you said Matilda is a, is I didn't know that yes. he directed that movie too. He directed it, and uh, one of the heartwarming elements of that is uh, the star who was playing Matilda. Her mom was drastically ill during the filming of the movie, and they thought she wasn't gonna make it to the moment the movie was released. And so he hurried production to be done well, of course, but just so he could get a rough cut put together so mom could watch it while she was on her deathbed. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, they made sure to do that for her, and she did die before it released. So it was a, a great moment that was. Um, I mean, it's a good like teachable moment to share with kids too. Like this is the kind of person he is that, you know, he looks like this terrible person on TV with how he just doesn't care about his children. Well, right. at least one child he doesn't care about, but yeah. um, 
That's fascinating. You know, Matilda is one of those movies, you know, as someone that they grew up in the early 2000s and the 90s that like, I never saw Matilda, but Matilda was one of the trailers on like the flubber VHS that we had. <laughs> so like, I've seen it so many times that I feel like I've seen Matilda, but I don't think I actually have. I, I'm pretty sure I've only seen scenes that I've used in my classroom. I'm in that same kind of boat. You know, I was born in 83. So uh I've definitely seen the VHS trailer for it and I've been busy hitting fast forward and seeing it happen quickly as it went by. And really, honestly, back then, obviously, Danny DeVito wasn't as big of a deal. Like he became cult classic, especially yeah. with Always Sunny. But uh, like I said, I use it as a, a reason, uh, a connection for the kids. And a lot of the kids today have seen it still, which is still kind of interesting to me. These kids being born in the uh, post 2000 era for sure uh, you know 2005 2010 where some of the you know, kids as they're coming in yeah. to high school we're not there yet at the 2010 range but it's coming soon you know we all have those moments when we realize we're starting to get long in the tooth and for me you know that started happening when I was in Arizona teaching my first teaching job was out in Arizona and um, I want to say 2008 2007, 2008, uh, that school year. And I started to realize that, oh, these kids were uh, born about the time I was graduating high school. And, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and even right away from the start, I was like, ah, here it goes. It's happening already. <laughs> it happens it happens quickly you know i was even thinking about it especially you'll appreciate this since you know you do so much esports work that like how quickly technology moves in the classroom we're like you know i graduated high school in the early 2010s and I was thinking about like, okay, you know, like what were the big video games back when, cause you started the esports, you know, as just like a video game club, right? Like over 10 years ago now, right? Uh, well, uh, give or take at my first school, I did do it. So out in Arizona yeah. in that 2008, I definitely was running a gaming club because yeah. I did a similar thing when I was in high school. It was actually part of our Bible study club. So oh, we'd really? have the Bible study club. And then afterwards we'd play Goldeneye on the N64. Uh, and Unbelievable. then- I love it. Some kids would just show up for that. And it yeah. was great. It was a good time. We got to have an authentic discussion first and then transitioned into playing games together. And then um, now it morphed into more the gaming thing. And, you know, as right. the gaming statistics have shown, the vast majority of everybody is playing them at least once a week. Yeah. And especially at the teenage age. Uh, so being able to tap into that and giving those kids a place to be is huge. Uh, I remember two years ago, this moment just sticks with me. I just shared it with a student yesterday. We walked into our gaming club, this kid, it was his first time ever coming to the club. He was, he asked me about it. I escorted him down. I walked him down. I said, okay, let's go. And I'll show you where it's at. And it's in the library. And he walks in, he sees the people there. He sees some kids playing games over here, some more kids playing games over there. And he stops, he drops his things. He raises his hands in the air and he goes, my people, I am here. I have found them. And everyone just kind of looks at him and goes, hey, and it was just a great like welcoming moment because just bring them in the fold. And then they all started singing the Halo theme together. And that oh for me, gosh. I was like, oh, it's, it's a bit cringy much for As me. It, but and if you know the Halo theme song, that's like way eerier than what you think if you don't know that song. <laughs> it's very operatic and orchestral. And it's very just much so. room full of voices filling the air. Wow. And then just laughter following immediately after. And it was just a phenomenal moment that just created something. Just like, this is why I'm doing this, right? That I am here with these kids, for these kids, in the place they need me to be. And as another staff member put it to me one time, they, uh, they said, look, if we're not doing what the kids are doing, we're doing them a disservice. So offering gaming for them, this is what they're doing. This is what they're part of. And we get to be kind of the arbiters of success and communication, especially when it comes to esports, because these 
many of the kids at home, the parents leave, leave them alone when they're doing it. They're not part of that process. They're not there doing what the teachers touch on top of it of uh, proper communication, proper uh, human interaction, et cetera. And so to them, it's perfectly acceptable to say something derogatory towards somebody's mother or about somebody's status, whatever that might be, because that's just how it is. They watch some videos and that's how people are. But in the esports space, I get to look at a kid and go, no, you don't yeah. get to do that. That's Listen, not okay. This isn't Xbox Live circa 2008. <laughs> we were all there. We're still recovering. So as with one kid, I basically had to, well, we were at a live event in Chicago. We were um, playing a large esports tournament. Uh, there was about, I want to say 20 to 30 uh, schools there. And it was wild for some of it was the first time they'd ever done a live event like that before. A lot of these kids aren't playing in traditional sports. And so when they finished their match, we lost, we got blown up. We got destroyed. This happens mm -hmm. in every sport. I've coached football yeah. at what, what at the time was the second worst program in the state of Arizona. So I'm used to losing, you know, it's about losing with grace. But then when we finished the game, I said to my guys, okay, get up, go shake their hands. And they looked at me like, why would we do that? They just destroyed us. I'm like, no, Go shake their hands is what you do. That's the next step of sportsmanship. And one of my guys that was in traditional sports, like, right away, yep, coach, let's go. And then the other kids just kind of followed suit. And the other kids looked at us like, why are you shaking our hands? I was like, come on, guys, this is, we just finished the game. We're saying, hey, good game. And that moment, like, opened their eyes a little bit. Like, oh, there's other people on the other side of the keyboards that we're playing against. <laughs> Yes, as the third baseman on a last place uh, baseball team in high school, I, I've been on the other end of some really nice, you know, uh, good game handshakes. <laughs> my kids always, uh, they, you know, they, I tell them my acumen of the past. You know, I was a football coach. I started that when I was student teaching. I was a football coach uh, for a middle school football team. I was working at the high school doing my student teaching, but I also worked at the middle school doing football. And so I did that. And then I go to Arizona, I coach more football and I'm also doing chess. So I'm the guy that's doing football. I'm coaching the offensive line. And then I go do chess uh, the next week when the football season's over. And then I do the gaming club on Friday. And so it's just a little bit all around the place. Like, how are you doing? Like, it's, it's, it's not really that different of a mentality. When you think about it, you're really just helping the kids through their own metacognition. You're helping them through the process of why did I do that when I did that? Is there something I could have done better? Is there something I could have done different? Am I the world's best chess player? No, but I can see a couple bits ahead of myself and see a little bit in the future of uh, seeing where the moves could go. And I really one of the best coaching moments I ever had. I honestly never saw what happened with the kid. I just walked over to his board uh, during one of our practice scrimmages against another team. And I looked and said, why did you make that move? And I just came from the bathroom or something. I don't know where I was. So I come over. Why did you do that? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, you saw that. Yeah, I was thinking I should have gone back and done this instead. And then he's telling me all about the reason why he did what he did. And now he's in that space. That's our place. That's our guidance that we need to bring them to. And especially in the world of esports, a lot of coaches are concerned. I don't know this game as well as these kids. These kids are better than me at this game. But I mean, is there a football coach standing around saying, I bet I could be better than these kids right now? I mean, there might be a couple, right? But yeah, no, Nick, Nick Saban is not lining up against anybody. So like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At some point, you have to have that realization. Oh, I'm here to guide them and help them find what they need and be inspiration if necessary. But it is different in that way because the kids look at you and they feel that barrier has been removed. The physicality isn't required to that level. It's more dexterity and things of that nature and knowledge, game sense, et cetera. And so they... At first, when we started the program many years ago, thankfully, we are IHSA official this year. So we are on the list, just like the robotics, just like 
um, the quiz bowl, just like chess as an activity that the IHSA sponsors. This year has like the first IHSA state series for esports, right? Correct. Uh, there was a secondary organization called the Illinois High School Esports Association yeah. that's run by uh, a teacher out of the Chicago Public Schools uh, that he's a phenomenal individual. They just ran a big symposium this summer about like uh, growing esports and how to manage your team and things like that. It's, it's great. Uh, but there was a state series, uh, but it was run by them. So it was run by us for us, essentially. But now it's IHSA putting their big stamp of approval on it. And for a lot of schools, that's all they needed before they were going to start participating. And, you know, we've had kids get scholarships for playing and it sounds ridiculous. You look back, I'm thinking back to myself as a kid getting get off that video game. What's that ever going to do for you? Uh, go do something exactly. productive with your time. Stop hitting your brother, whatever the case is. And then now it's into, hey, I had a kid that just got a full tuition scholarship to go play at the college level. And he wasn't like the world's best player. He's a good player. He's a, you know, he's got a great mentality. He's got a great work ethic and he's getting his college mostly funded. And it's just yeah. phenomenal just because he's, it's just like, like I explained to a lot of folks, I, we had some arguments when we had his big signing, we made a big deal out of it as a school and I'm glad we did. Yeah. We I saw an article from when he was the first person, I think his name was, his name was Zach Diamond. I yes. think. I, yes, I, I noticed that because I'm like, that's the coolest name of all time. There's no way that's a real name. That's why it stuck with me just now. His story is a phenomenal one. That's at, it's, you know, you always hear coaches say like, here's this moment with this player that we just kind of hit it off. But his and mine is definitely one of those classic stories you hear of like coach and player working together. He comes to me freshman year and says, I know you guys have esports. I know you do league of legends. That's the game that we play. That's the, the it's, it's the number one esport in the world, but it's the big one for all the scholarships. All the colleges are trying to run that one. Yeah. And he says to me, you're doing league. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm a fairly low rated player. I've only been playing for a couple of weeks or maybe a month, but I'm going to work with you and I'm going to dedicate working with you for the next four years. And I want to be the first person from this school to get a scholarship. And I said, I'm there for you. Let's do this. You know, and then we started that conversation. We had that friendship that we developed over that time. And we still talk like he's been, you know, he's, he's graduated. He's a sophomore now at college, but uh, I just talked to him several times today. You know, he was sharing some things that he wasn't certain about with his college coach and about his roommate situation, all that kind of life stuff. And we just have that connection still. And it's great to be able to be that person for him that when he sees these needs or issues or wants to share a joke that I'm there for him. That's and almost I'm like glad a two like two you know uh movie script perfect <laughs> conversation to have right it's very like tim tebow i'm going to be the yep. hardest working player in the country type of thing where you're like i'm going to be the first person to get a scholarship it's almost it, it's too perfect that that actually ended up to happen a little different than the year before when a student approached me and said hey actually i'm at home injured right now i broke both of my legs during pe class but i want to be on the team <laughs> and I mean, he did he was just running the track one day he fell hit awkwardly and both of his legs broke and nobody believed him they started bringing him told him to walk he's like it hurts really bad They're like oh yeah you're hurt <laughs> and then they yeah, broke both your legs and he got to be a wheelchair for a bit he was homebound for a bit but you know he came back and did well with the team he helped uh, lead the team he played with a lot of grew a lot of friendships through the process but uh, he ultimately didn't pursue he wanted to move into more journalism when he was out so uh <laughs> yeah he's uh, off at uh, minnesota now but his brother's on the team so uh, we can still have some connection in that way it's great seeing the next generation you know their, their siblings coming in and already kind of having a they know they want to be part of it instead of hey what is this thing yeah, and it was a tough, I mean, obviously, you think about uh, transitioning different things during the pandemic, and when you had to do things remotely, 
having to bring the esports remotely in some ways makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's just like what online gaming is for the most part. It's people on their own doing that. But especially for you as a coach, that brings a completely different dynamic when you're not like in someone's ear being like, hey, what what, what was that movie just made? What was the, can you explain that to me? That probably brought about a pretty different dynamic. It was effective uh, for, but it was also at the same time concerning in its equity access. There was a lot of kids that we uh, provide the access for, especially when it comes to a game like League of Legends. That game takes a ton of time to learn. It's it's a very heady game, we'll say. It's not skill dependent, but it's a lot of work. And I had a lot of kids that um, they don't have their own computer at home, so they can't play the game. Uh, but we were fortunate as a district. They made a decision years ago. We didn't know. It was We called it the Wild West of gaming. We didn't know what the future was like. We didn't know if there was going to be live events where you invite the other school over like a track meet. And then you have a head-to-head, face-to-face you know, match. And the parents are in the stands, whatever the case is. We're still figuring that out, by the way, of course. Uh, yeah, but I can imagine. <laughs> But we didn't know. So we didn't know. Is it going to be bring your own device where everyone just loads up their machines and off they go to the other school? So we bought laptops. Uh, We bought uh, gaming laptops. They're high quality machines. They're not top of the line, but they're they're good. And so we were able to during that time, I worked it out with the district. I talked to IT. I talked to the legal team, et cetera, et cetera. We worked it out that we could check the machines out to the kids. So uh, I had some kids participating that would not otherwise be able to do so, especially in a remote setting. Uh, there, we did have some internet issues, of course, uh, during a match where we had to request a pause because somebody's internet died or somebody flipped a switch and accidentally kicked out the power or whatever the case is. Uh, but it was fortunate that we are thinking in that way as a district, and I encourage other groups to do so as well. And one of the groups that we allied with in the past, there's a national organization that runs out of University of California. Uh, I want to say out of Berkeley, but I'm not sure which campus it's out of, called the, the National uh, well, it's NASEP. It's a, the, it's a national esports federation that focuses on the academics first. So right. they're saying these are scholar gamers. They're not just gamers. We're also trying to influence the academic side of things and how we can use that and create curriculum around it. Now, we're not at the point in my district where we're hitting the curriculum part, which that pipe dream, that would be amazing to do. You know, a little Hogwarts school of esports would be a fantastic environment to be part of because everything we want our kids to learn it's a big part of what these games offer for the kids, especially the hyper-competitive games. When it comes to uh, the League of Legends game that we play or the other team-based games that we play, the kids have to communicate to be able to play well. They have to anticipate what's going to be coming next. They need to calculate a bit of, am I able to do what I'm trying to do? Or is the enemy going to damage me faster than I can damage them, et cetera. So there is kind of those just little considerations they need to make, but it is heavily dependent on the strategy and the communication. That's 90% of my job is working with the kids in their communication saying, okay, if you're doing this, you need to let your teammate know that you're on the way and so on. So it's the same thing that we want from our kids to learn in a lot of the soft skills talk we have as educators, like they're doing it in these games, but they need us to guide them to get there because they're not there yet. Yeah, no, I would bet. I mean, for pretty much because what are the you have like four games or so that you guys do competitively have teams for? Is it uh, hang on? Is it it's League? It's uh, Rocket League, Smash, and Two K. Yes, for this year, due to 
the IHSA committee that uh, every year they visit uh, the games that are, I'm on that committee. Yeah. Uh, so I have a little bit of insider knowledge, but uh, it's part of the bylaws that they will revisit every year which kinds of games we want to offer. We don't want to be tied to the companies that make these games sure. uh, because there's, uh, as Riot Games and Activision have uh, had come out recently, they've had some very significant concerns professionally uh, as far as their leadership is concerned. And so we don't want to marry ourselves to those games and say, oh, well, we're stuck with this game. Well, who cares what they do as people? Yeah. We want to work with the kids. I'm like, well, what you do matters. And so we're putting our money where our mouth is. And so that's why the state itself is not running a League of Legends uh, championship. Mm. There's a lot of rules involving uh, the Riot Games company that makes League of Legends has very strict rules about who is or is not allowed to do a state championship. And ultimately we decided not to partner with the people they forced us to partner with. Okay. Um, so my kids are still participating in that, but it's not officially under IHSA banner. Um, we're playing with that company because just the amount of scholarship opportunities for our kids. And we've had so much success with it in the past. I feel like we're not helping our kids enough if we don't allow it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we have those discussions. Okay. Like, okay, this is what they're accused of. Let's look at some of that and talk about it and why your online presence matters and things like that. And what you say and how you say it makes a big difference. Yeah. But uh, with the other three games, the purpose we chose those ones for Rocket League, we were looking at a game that was a small group environment. So we wanted to have the coaching element be a major factor. We wanted to have um, people be able to communicate with each other and have the coach be able to manage that kind of communication where it's not just a one versus one head to head matchup. Cause I mean, yeah, you can coach a one V one, uh, like a tennis coach can do one V ones with their players, you know, and work with them on their skills and such, but it really ultimately comes down to player skill. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to work down to a way the coach has more hands-on activity with the kids. Right. And we went and really quick. I feel like I should say for people that don't know what rocket league is, Rocket League is essentially soccer with cars. Is that fair to say? Soccer with cars, and they have some special engines on them that allow them yeah. to do some fly around in the air stuff. Exactly. So it's it's got all the same rules of soccer. It's just you get to drive around real fast and fly around to hit the ball. It customize and your car, do all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. Customize your car for fun, but that doesn't change any of the performance, which makes right. it fair regardless of how much money somebody spent on the game. There's no advantage to spending money. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we want that because that game is now free. So we wanted, once again, accessibility. We wanted every kid to have the ability to play that. It's available on pretty much every game console that's current as yeah. well as on computer. Uh, it's not on, well, there's a version coming for phone, but it's not the same. It's, yeah. And then the other games we mentioned, Super Smash Bros is a uh, battle royale melee game with uh, all sorts of, uh, of, of different uh, Nintendo characters. And other are there non-Nintendo characters that are involved? There are in several non-Nintendo characters. It's mostly considered to be a fighting game. So, you know, yeah, so, fighting game with, you know, Mario characters, you know, yeah. some Pokemon cameos, all the good stuff. And we then, included uh, that due to popularity as well as yeah. uh, having something that represents, because in within the scene already, there's already small one versus one as well as two versus two. So once yeah. again, coach input matters. Right, and then 2K is just the end, it's basketball. 2K, it's basketball simulated. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a 1v1 situation. The reason we included that one was we wanted to make sure every school felt like they had an opportunity to send somebody to the state tournament. And when it comes to looking at NBA 2K, well, there's a lot of kids. If you're just saying, well, I don't know how to do esports. We don't have computers on hand. We can't do this league thing. Rocket League, I don't know if we can get enough people. Smash, that takes a switch. We don't have a switch. 
So we could say, uh, well, NBA 2K, just bring a kid in a controller and they can go play. And that's an easy bar of entry. You know, the game costs 60 bucks uh, in, in console, you know, two, three hundred dollars. So that's a lot lower bar of entry to most schools. Just grab some kids and say, hey, let's go play for the state championship. You guys are already right. playing it. We'll give you an authentic way to go about doing so. So that's why we included that. Now, when you look at the big picture of like what authentic esports is, some people get very mad about it, of course, because they're passionate. But that doesn't really that game doesn't make the cut for like true authentic esports events and such. Um, but we wanted to include it because of the student uh, input. Like I said earlier, if the kids are doing it and we're not really supporting them in that way, we're doing them a disservice. That's I was a, thinking, a you big... probably you do get a different kind of, you know, you would definitely attract a, a different crowd that to play 2K rather than the League of Legends yes. crowd for the most part. And so, yeah, there's a definite distinct variation and it, and it can be easily drawn along socioeconomic lines just due to the requirements of what you need to play League of Legends. It does require a machine for a computer and it requires a good consistent internet access, but you can play NBA 2K, you don't need this to be online. So just yeah. two people sit down on a TV and here they go, they play. Um, it's the same thing I do with my classrooms. Like in my psychology classroom, we talk about the learning process, how memory works, all this you know great brain heady stuff, right? And I tell my kids the first unit we do every year is always on memory and or learning. So how do we learn? And then how does memory work? And then I turn it right back around to them. I say, here's the studies. Here's how it says we learn best. And I'm not doing my job as an educator. And I'm doing you all a horrible disservice, keep saying it, if I don't teach it the same way that the studies say it works best. So we try to actively practice these things that we're learning about in the classroom. And hopefully it's getting through to a lot of them. I see a lot of repeat kids faces in my classrooms and then to my clubs and things. So I think something about me, they appreciate. So I'm glad about that. They don't try to hide from me, yeah. uh, but it's definitely a huge part of the discussion. Like I'm, I need to do what the research is showing works with you. Otherwise, why am I teaching? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I trying to share the grand world knowledge with you? I, I originally wanted to go into teaching music, but I had a bad experience at college with the audition process. I didn't really like the trumpet professor at the school I was auditioning for, and I felt like that would have been a really uh, sore relationship over several years. So I transitioned into wanting to teach history. And I said, okay, if I teach history, I had this great, amazing uh, high school educator. He's still teaching today. It was great. I still keep in contact with him. Uh, we, we get together every once in a while. You know, Our kids get to play together. It's such a weird concept to think about this teacher you had years ago. <laughs> yeah. Your kids are out there playing with their kids, but it's it's just that authentic connection I had with them. And I said, how can I be that teacher for my kids? And mm -hmm. so I moved into history after that. And then, well, good luck finding a job teaching social sciences uh, at about that time. And still now, it's still a difficult position to really look for. Um, and when I finally got here to my school in Rockford, after a year or two of teaching basically everything they needed me to teach, which is 90% of what we offer in a department, uh, one of the teachers said, hey, uh, we have an extra section of psychology. Do you want to teach it? And I said, uh, a, a course that kids sign up for on purpose as an elective and about things that are naturally fascinating to me and to a lot of people, like, why is nobody else wanting to teach this? Why am I the only one that's saying yes? And he said, I don't know why either. I like teaching it. And so eventually he left the building to go work uh, downtown. He got some promotions. And so I just kind of took over for that position. Now I'm, you know, the psych guy. There's always a psych guy involved or psych lady, whatever the case is. But it was uh, a great moment. I just felt like it was you know, the door opened for me to move forward and just kind of grow into what I was teaching. And especially when I started seeing those elements of what I was teaching working, you know, that big moment for a lot of newer teachers when they say like, okay, you know, here's the method. If you do it this way, you're going to learn it. And then it works. You're like, oh, 
how did this happen? It, it worked the way it was supposed to. You know, I tried this intervention with a kid and now they're like, they're better. It's working out. I don't understand. But the light switches on. And I had a moment. I was working with my AP class. I went to a great AP training seminar and I came back and started using some of those methods. And then I read an article online as I was doing some of my own professional development. And it was talking about questioning why you're assigning an assignment essentially is what it boiled down to. Right. Are you wanting your kids to learn from this assignment or do you just want them to do it so they can get some points? And, and then it says, well, what is the kid getting from that message? And so I challenged myself right then. I said, okay, all the work I've been doing, I was always big on saying everything you do is worth a purpose. You know, it's always going to be points put into the computer. It was always like the big statement I'd make to my kids. And then it turned into more of a shift into, um, why are we learning this? Like, what is the purpose of what you are actively doing right now? Are you doing this because you want to know more? Because you want it to connect to something? Because you want to do well on an exam? Or do you just want to do this to get the five points in the grade book and move on with your life? Right. And I really started retooling a lot of what I was teaching, especially at the AP level. Like I'm trying to encourage the learning process. I'm not just trying to encourage the compliance of doing the work. And so I took out a lot of those daily activities that I thought were so essential. We still did them but they weren't worth points. And so, yeah, some kids are hesitant at first. They don't really want to do it, but I wanted to then replace it with authentic feedback. And instead of just saying, okay, you get five points or three points, it's now I'm giving you specific directed feedback that was communicative in nature where it's like, hey, I see you did this. I really appreciate you did that. However, I'm concerned when you do it this way that it's not really uh, helping you learn it deeply. So if you do it this way next time, it'll help you. And that was very time consuming. But it was well worth it. And a lot of my kids got a lot out of that to the point where I said, like, I got to keep doing this. You know, another one of those light bulb moments of like, oh, it's working. I need to keep pursuing this. We need to move forward. And I was told, I've never really looked at the numbers myself, that my kids ended up doing the best in our district on the AP psych exam. I was like, okay, I, I hope it's because I'm doing well and they're learning well with what I'm doing, but I can't verify and confirm anything in that way. So I just, it just reaffirmed what I was doing that, oh, they're learning more. And it's lasting longer when I'm doing it this way, that we're talking about it and we're learning it and learning it authentically and deeply. Right. Who would have thought that for a psychology class, self-reflection would be important, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we absolutely added that, uh, that metacognition piece. And I've really, I started using that with my team. And it was very effective for them when they started really kind of analyzing, why am I doing what I'm doing? And for many of the kids, it's the first time they've ever considered something like that. You know, they just kind of go through their lives and go forward. As my uh, 12 year old son likes to tell me all the time, he just kind of says like, why does that matter, dad? Like, uh, why are you saying this? Like, it, it, there's no purpose. There's no point. Why does bedtime exist? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to kind of rationalize that same kind of thinking about thinking moment. Like we like to do as educators. And he looks at me and goes, you are a teacher, aren't you? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Well, it's funny. I was I was thinking about that because actually earlier today I was having a conversation with a teacher who's a, a high school biology teacher, and they were working for the past year or so with some research groups and some other folks about uh, incorporating uh, media literacy within their curriculum and within us, uh, you know, several different you know topics and and several different classes, but specifically, you know, pretty important time to be talking about like health misinformation, right, during a pandemic. But she was talking about how wonderful it felt to not just have like we were talking about like why are we doing the things we're doing why are we teaching things the way that we are where when you're you know are, are am I teaching something just so someone can get to the end of the unit and then they're kind of going to abandon that information afterwards and then just move on to the next thing or 
something that's with media literacy and, and the thing that she was talking about was, okay, not only is this something that I'm going to actively practice outside of the classroom, but it's something that I'm going to be learning in the classroom and then bringing home and being like, hey, mom, there's something I learned today that's not only interesting, but I think you could also use this information. <laughs> I, I encounter that quite frequently with a lot of the units we talk about. I usually send a letter home and say, hey, Lou, we're going to be talking about these subjects. Be aware I'm not attacking who you are as a parent. <laughs> Uh, when we talk about oh, parenting no. styles and yeah, they say exactly. like, okay, here's the effect that this parenting style has on this kid. And the kid sees one example and they go, well, they did that because of this and they're connecting dots the wrong way. And they're not realizing the big picture of the parenting style is very nuanced and it's not just cut and dry like a lot of our kids want to experience. And uh, so I'm trying to show them the experience and say, you know, kind of guide them along that path. And uh, we talked the other day about uh, there's no real measurement of a country beyond economic data. And right. we read uh, a piece from positive psychologist and talked about, uh, he wrote an article like in 2004 talking about why we need to have some kind of social capital scale or some kind of international happiness index and saying that should be how we measure countries and looking at they, that the people we elect should be serving the people, not only for their financial gain, but also to be aware of their brains, to be aware of their quality of life, to be aware of their purpose. And so we challenged our kids to kind of think in that same way. And at first the kids were like, this is weird. Like this, it felt heady, but at the same time right. they were feeling like, you know what, that it does kind of matter. I said, you know, like if you're trying to pick a place that you would like to live at and you find out in one country, they value uh, the experience that a person is going through versus only how much money they've raised for the country that year. Um, I mean, there's a value to it discussing that. There's no reason why not, but kind of moves into that next step of worrying about others around you. And I don't remember off the top of my head what the name of the effect is, but there's a moment when we start to become aware in our lives that every single other person we encounter has a full and enriching life, just like you do. So yeah. the person you just passed by in the car one time, they're having a life just like you. And to you, they're just that idiot that got in the way. But to them, you're the idiot that got in the way and they're living their own life that's full of values and worries and wants and desires and love and tragedy. But it's such a weird moment and just mind-blowing when you realize, oh, everyone else is that like that too. It truly is. And I, I specifically for, for as a journalist, I think about this all the time. And as I was getting into the business, I, I think about it more and more where you're just every day talking to different people, having conversations. And, and it has gotten to the point where sometimes I joke where if I'm like going for a walk at night, like in the neighborhood with my girlfriend or something, and we'll like see someone like walk in their house and I'll be like, can you believe they have their whole thing? They have a whole life. They've got their whole thing going on that I don't know anything about. And we're just up. this five seconds of looking out the window. Who's that? I haven't been invited <laughs> to their life at all. How messed up. <laughs> that yeah, happens day by day, millions by millions. And it just, it's, it's hard. You can almost get overwhelmed when you really think about that, but it is, right. it's incredible to think that yeah. just the, the branching out effect of the impact you can have on somebody's life. And as a teacher, we can't like take that for granted. We can't take that even, we do need to consider that because we are gonna have quite the swath of lives that have been affected through our experience. And what is that gonna look like? Is that gonna be the guy that was demanding compliance in his classroom and not necessarily demanding learning? Uh, are you gonna have the person that's actually authentically getting to know their students? I've started using more, um, restorative justice training in my classroom and just getting to know my students is completely different now than it used to be. I thought we had good discussions and I knew who they were, but I still had five kids in every room that I could barely tell you their name by the end of the year. 
What are some and of the big things with that restorative justice piece that have really been eye-opening for you? Just how much the kids want it. That's the part that really hit me hard with it. Like I started using it. I was like, ah, this could be something. I'll give it a try. I went through some great training and learned how to officially go through it. But you don't really need the authentic training that just helps you kind of get over the initial hesitancy because there's kind of a script when you go through a lot of these discussions, but then it opens up to wherever the kids want that discussion to go. And we had uh, a discussion the other day um, talking not necessarily about classroom rules, but we made classroom agreements to one another. And the reason behind that psychology, but coming back at it, that if the kids are part of that process that creates the agreements that they operate under, they're more willing to follow those agreements. They feel like they have a sense of ownership towards those rules. Absolutely. And what goes beyond that to make all of those, uh, the administrator checkoffs on the, the list of uh, things they're looking for, observable things in the classroom, when they make those agreements to each other, they're also much more willing to call each other out on. So if somebody's not adhering to the rules and they came up with those rules, then they're going to point at each other and say, hey, right now we agreed to do this and you're not doing that. That's affecting me. I had a kid one year, the agreement was, I'm looking off our, I think it's one of them that we have this year, um, that they needed to be, oh, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but let's use the phrase considerate of one another was what they agreed to. Because the question that prompts that discussion is just, we talk about what kind of a person are you when you're at your best? And so every kid shares the five things that describe them when they're at their best. And then at the end of it, you're going to be blown away. If you just do this, even with a group of like five kids, and you just say, when you are at your best, how do you describe yourself in five ways? And you hear them talk about those five ways. You're like, this is an awesome person. I want to get to know this person. I want to spend time with this person. Every kid in the room is amazing. Even your most hard scrabble kid that doesn't really want to participate. If he's willing to open up, if she's willing to open up and tell you these five things, you're like, no, this kid's cool. Like, I want to know this kid. I want to grow with this kid. We can definitely build something here. Uh, I, that's the same reason I don't listen to any advice from other teachers about the kids coming into my room the next year. Uh, they say, hey, you've got so-and-so coming. I can tell you something. No, don't tell me anything about that kid other than their name. That's all I need to know. And then beyond that, I'm going to find out who that kid is. And that, that's a lot of work. But the kid, after they saw this moment, somebody wasn't really responding properly in a discussion. They felt like somebody wasn't given their proper due. And they said, hey, let's say Johnny. Johnny, look at that wall. We have those circles put on the wall with the agreements we made to each other. You're not doing that one that says considerate. He goes, oh, my bad. And then just kind of backs off and diffuses the situation. And just that moment, like, oh, they, it does work. Like I said earlier, like that moment when you realize that the research actually works and it's real <laughs> and it's happening. This, this thing is happening right before my eyes. I didn't realize it. And it's and there it was. And the kids called each other out. And at first they might joke around with it because, you know, I kind of encourage it. Like, hey, you see somebody being disrespectful, call them out and say, hey, I'm not at my best when you're disrespecting me. You heard me what I said when I was at my best, that I was funny, that I was a leader and so on and so on. But you're not respecting me. So I can't be a leader right now. And they're joking at first. They laugh. But then it becomes more real as they keep doing it. And they do it again and again. And suddenly it's no longer a joke. And they, they see that it's helping them. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get awesome guests like Jeff. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're hearing the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It's what helps get more teachers and more perspectives on this show. 
Big thanks to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for the music that you hear during every episode of Teacher's Lounge. Shout out to Spencer Tritt for our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge so soon. We'll see you later.